Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Jonathan. Slava. Hello. We meet again. We meet again. Same time, on same the, place. On the dark side of Arrakis. Maybe that's our new uh, our, our, our new final words. Hey, same time, same place. It's yeah. like an old one. That's like an 80s thing. Same bat channel, same bat time. Yeah. The 60s thing. 60s? Really? The old Batman from the 60s. Oh, the campy, yeah. Campy, cheesy, Adam West with Mayor Adam <laughs> West. <laughs> oh and, and boy! And his trusty sidekick, Robin Wiggles McGee. W- oh yeah, Robin. Yes, yeah. that actor Wiggles <laughs> McGee, very famous <laughs> '60s actor, only known for one role: <laughs> playing Robin on the Batman series. <laughs> Later went on to be Wiggles McGee. Yep. Oh my gosh! Ridiculous. Well, you know what the... he changed his name from, right? Uh... Wigglestein <laughs> McGee. I don't know why his first name was the. I messed that joke up. Never mind. Okay. That, all right. I'll, it was actually you know, a little funnier than I thought it was, was going to be. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not funny at all. It's, it's yeah. a ruined joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive in. I know that this is the last two chapters of Dune, so I'm just going to give us a quick rehash. But this is the big kapow, the big bang, the old one-two. I'm trying to remember other things that they flash in that type of Batman. Kapow is just... The, the kapow, kazam. Yeah, but I said kapow. Whippity, that's what. That it's was the old the, Wiggles McGee. Wiggling your McGee. This is a kids show. Is this a kids show? This is not a kids show. It, it well not well, it. You're wearing no. a you're wearing your gator ass hat again. Yes. Um, all I gator, am. all ass, all the time. That's what Wiggles McGee used to say. Oh, all right. That's what got him fired. All right. So the last two chapters roll in a bang. The old kapow. We got Stilgar. And Paul, waiting for the sandstorm to roll in so they can strike at the Emperor. But just before that happens, we hear, bum, 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 Paul's kid is dead. And his sister is captured. That sucks. What does he do? No time to mourn. He's practiced that since his dad has, um, he had the same thing happen with being in the moment and in the action when he would have preferred to mourn. Not today. Not right now. He's got things to do. So he fronts to the Emperor, and the Fremen strike. Aaliyah kills the Baron, which I love the fact that the Ganjabar came back. That was uh, That's like a nice little, you know, front-end, back-end book thing here. <laughs> Especially from, like, a child. It just seems so much more satisfying. Sorry, we'll get into that. Poison, um, dart-wielding child. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't everybody want a daughter like that? Don't have to I worry do. about her. <laughs> Paul Paul negotiates with the Emperor, kills Fade Ratha in a duel. Fade Ratha, like, what a dweeb. Oh, yeah. he's me, 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 me. All right, we, we'll get into it. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm supposed yeah. to be giving the recap here. Well, did you, yes. Sorry, do you want to say something? No, I'll, I'll save it for when, when we discuss his dweeb. All right, we'll get to it pretty quickly. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll hurry up here. 
So Paul asks for the throne through marriage with Princess Irulan's. We have the, the revelation that all the epigraphs are Princess Irulan, which is why she knows so much about Moadib and, and recites his wisdom in the beginning of each of the chapters because, well, they're married. And then the emperor's daughter is, Princess Irulan is, is the emperor's daughter, which he reluctantly agrees to give her in marriage. And I feel like there was not as much pressure as there could have been or should have been on the emperor to make this happen. I mean, I guess his life was at risk, so maybe that was enough pressure. Yeah, I, I, I just feel like Paul should have negotiated for more. Because, like, who's to say after they get married here in, you know, the next ten that he doesn't just have him killed when he's traveling sometime? I don't know. But Cheney will be his true wife, or so he says. And then Cheney lives happily ever after and needs to bear another son. Maybe. We don't know. And then Irulan is, you know. To be a royal concubine. To be a royal Ish. concubine, never to be bind or concude. Concued. Just to, That's what the kids say on the streets. Yeah, writes uh, epigraphs for you and her me? Conc you? grandfather's biography. Grandfather's? <laughs> he has grandfather's. No, father's. Emperor's her father. Yeah. I know things. Yeah. I read this book. Anyway, before we continue to dive in, as we're itching to do, it seems, is there anything new or interesting you wanted to share, Slava? Or books that you're reading? and uh, Like a book that I'm reading? Yeah. Um, or would yeah. recommend... Yeah, yeah, it could be news. It could be you know your life. We we're here to hear about your life and your 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 tale. Sure. So one book that I'm reading is called "The Heritage of Anglican Theology" by J.R. Packer. Sounds like an uh, easy read. And it's actually a very easy read. People just uh, are lazy if they find theology overwhelming, and I stay stand by that and don't at me, don't care. But the Heritage of Anglican Theology, it's a primer for Anglican theology something that I've enjoyed in my seminary studies is reading Anglican scholars. So I picked this one up because I also have read many other books by J.I. Packard. And if you want to learn more about Christianity in general or Anglicanism in particular, you, you can read that book. But a book that I would recommend to the audience only because it's very timely is Putin by Philip Short, and it's Putin's biography. And it kind of takes the reader from childhood all the way up to maybe five years ago, maybe ten years ago. doesn't matter. It talks about the most important foundational years of Putin's life and political career. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm right around where Soviet Union falls and Putin finds himself in East Germany. And ultimately, at the end of the section I'm reading, finds himself back in Leningrad trying to figure out what the hell is going on. When so, did the Soviet Union fall? It it started to fall very late eighties, um, and it fell officially ninety ninety one is when it all went to hell in the handbasket. So this is very much a condensed, simplified version because a lot of stuff started happening. But when Estonia, one of the first countries to you know tell Russia to go screw itself and declared independence, that participated other events. I think even in a, as far down as Hungary, and there were plenty of plenty of stuff going on in East Germany at that time, which we just won't get into because this will, will actually it'll actually require a long a long backstory to everything that everything that was going on in the eighties in the Soviet Union. So all that to say, if you want to learn about Putin, 
Read Putin by Philip Short. If you're so inclined to learn about Anglican theology, J.R. Packard. That's my book recommendations for the week. Or the month, because it will take me a while to get through it. It's like a 60-hour book, that Putin book. Well, it's quite a bit. What are you reading these days? I'm currently reading a book called Talk to Me, which I, I started reading to, well, for a couple of reasons, because I think questions are how we exchange knowledge in day-to-day life from each other and from work and even how we ask questions here on this podcast. It's like, okay, how do we make this more interesting? And it's a book about how to be a better journalist, which I got recommended from a friend and it's been really good so far. I don't think that everything is applicable to what we're up to here on the podcast, SideQuest, but it is very good and, and helpful. It talks about doing research before you dive into having conversations with people. It talks about how in every conversation that you're going to record or speak to, trying to bring a different angle. It talks about the ethics of conversations and you know, not trying to do any gotcha stuff because it's not super useful. So that, and then I'm just reading my MBA books, learning about the, um, or becoming a master of business administration. So nice. those are the, the books that I'm currently reading. I, I've just been thinking about as well, what side books I'm going to pick up. And in other things that books that we haven't read yet, but we've talked about reading, Slav and I are probably going to do a short series for ghost stories in October. I don't know if we've settled on what that's going to look like at the moment, but that is the current trajectory. So if you like ghost stories, we'll be releasing second um, second episodes every week to talk shorter ghost stories. You know, if it's it, we might even read it to you. We don't have the format figured out yet, but that I'm kind of excited about. So now that we've taken that little detour, calm down a little bit. Let's dive back into Arrakis and Paul and this this final few moments on Dune together before we have this just really fun, and I can't wait for the next episode. Speaking of which, make sure you subscribe right now. Just pause for a second. Just hit the, hit the subscribe button because we're about to have a real kapow knockout moment in the next episode where we have two guests on one that you know our old classic guy spency boy and then another one of my best friends christopher who's going to come on and speak about dune with us both of them have been reading it as well and joining along but i wanted to get their takes on it spencer has never read the book before christopher i believe this is his third or fourth read through could be wrong on the exact number but he's read it a few times and yeah i'm excited i'm i'm really looking forward to uh, a four-person episode just to see how it goes. I just, I can't wait. I'm super excited. So Spencer decided to come back from whatever planet we stranded him on after we broke his wishes. Yeah, that's He true. hasn't gone mad yet from reading everybody's thoughts. Also true. No. He's, Welcome he's back, still Spencer. alive. Yeah. He'll, he'll get this sometime What am I future. thinking now? Food. You're thinking about food. I'm thinking about gator ass. Hey, man. Okay. Don't knock until you try it. I'm not going to try Just it. Just don't try it at the place I tried it because it was, it'll be overbreaded and overfried. I'm, man, that's the worst kind of ass. All right. Is this a good ending for a book, Slava? You tell us. I was pleased by it. 
I thought it was good. Why? Well, how can you end a book, right? The question is, how do you end a book as an author? And what what kind of endings do people find satisfying? Well, for me, this one was satisfying. Paul kills Fade Ratha, puts the Emperor back in his place. The Baron dies. He gets Cheney, even though it's not ideal, but, you know, political intrigue and royals and, you know, rich people problems. So all that <laughs> stuff, fine. I was satisfied, but could have been another chapter or something or an epilogue. But because this is a trilogy, if I wanted to go and learn a little bit more, I could do that. And if I wanted to pick apart what I just read in more detail, there are five appendices. So I was satisfied. That's that's the word I'm choosing to use. I was satisfied with the ending. I thought it was pretty good. You not so much? It's funny that you say you would not have enjoyed it as much if it was a standalone book. Because my thought upon finishing it, especially because I haven't read the other books, is, man, this is a great standalone book. <laughs> I really, I had that thought. I, I, oh, the book itself, yeah. But we're talking if we're getting if we're getting to the weeds, that I would have wanted more from the ending if it was a standalone book. But I enjoyed the hell out of it. At the same time, I told, I even text you, this is a great effing book. He did. He did. He... I've enjoyed the book. But if we're going to get very pedantic and say, hey, I would have liked the ending less if this was a standalone. Because I I would have wanted some sort of epilogue just to kind of round things off nicely. Maybe 10 years in the future, we get a glimpse into what being a lonely biographer is. But we already have that glimpse. We already have that glimpse. Just start, just read the book again. Well, we have epigraphs. That's not that's that's barely a glimpse. That's a no, no, no. But but it, it, here's here's how do I say this? So if you reread it, you just like let's go back to the beginning. We'll we'll do another five, uh, another seven episodes on this. We'll just read it back to back twice, right? We would talk about like okay, we would focus on specifically each epigraph. We would go. We would we would bring it as a topic that we addressed every time, like man, Princess Airline, what's she quoting, what she's saying, and then you and I would speculate about what's going on in her life because we don't we haven't read the other books. Let's pretend they don't exist because we're talking about like, well, what if this was a standalone? We would know on this read through, like Princess Irlan is a solo queen who gets to have none of the the benefits of being a queen at the moment. And she's alone. And like, what is that like? And why is she quoting his wisdom? And who is she quoting it to? Like, because she's just this lone biographer. And so so did she forcibly say, I need to find a hobby? Or did he? Did she just keep pestering him? Like, there's so many questions. Fair enough. But if we're, ta- if we're talking strictly about the ending, I still like it. So and maybe, um, maybe I'm belaboring a point unnecessarily or making a point unnecessarily without even before before it's belabored the points moot uh <laughs> how but but how would you change it how would you so if it was a standalone book i, I would put in you just an, want the additional 10, 10 chapter or 10 years I, down the road or whatever doesn't have to be 10 years yeah, just an something. epilogue that's you know maybe even a general epilogue and then they all lived happily ever after except princess Irulan. something you would, would have been nice. That. You would, would hate have been that. Nice. No, you would hate that. 
and they all lived happily. And the and the well, emperor not, not, was the <laughs> best father-in-law that Paul never had. <laughs> yeah, that would suck ass, honestly. And then you know, and then Alligator. the emperor and uh, Paul went fishing on the new and refurbished and re re what not refurbished. What's the word? Revitalized Arcadis. Um, no, that would suck. That'd be cliche. But some sort of g- a general sense of where the family went afterwards would have been nice. But it doesn't take away from the book at all, and it it doesn't make me, you know, hate the ending. I thought the ending was great. The fight, I even liked. I'm going to read you uh, a quote that I really enjoyed from the ending. Oh, sure, yep. And it's uh, it's about Paul and Fade Rotha fighting. Paul twisted his hand free, aided by the lubrication of the blood from his arm, thrust one hard up underneath Phaedrotha's jaw. The point slid home into the brain. I'm a little macabre, but I found just, like, <laughs> that was satisfying, finally, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of his badgering and dilly-dallying with the... Yeah, uh... the, his dweebery. So I thought all that ended. I thought all that was really cool. I enjoyed those. It was a nice ending. It was a nice ending. I enjoyed those little pieces of the ending because it was finally Paul got to reap some benefits from all, you know, his suffering, his hard work, and everything that he's been doing for the last 47 chapter. It all paid off. Mm-hmm. So he gets. It tied it up nicely, too, because we got to see the Ganja Bar again. Fade Ratha got to get his comeuppets, you know, harking back to my intro piece where it's like, he's such a whiny dweeb. Like, what? It's a sniveler. They're raiding your building. The emperor's not going to do anything to help you. Yeah. He's a sniveler. Sniveler. So anyway, like you said, tied it up really nice. Paul got some reprieve. The bad guys got some justice. And the Emperor got his own just reward, too. So I thought it was a good ending. I liked it. What do you... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. Uh, yeah, I really I really liked it. It's it's funny that this is just another incident that Slava and I had very different opinions on on a book. But that's what makes this interesting. So I really loved that the Ganja Bar came back. And also, like, Aaliyah being the 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 conduit of like giving the baron his comeuppets as well like here you go grandpa snap is yeah. as that was just nice like yeah no she she is she's a precocious little assassin yes I, I like it yeah <laughs> it was nice and then I I also loved the uh, the fact that Paul stuck it to the emperor I mean that just felt good because we've seen Paul go through so much. And what I want to know, though, some questions, and we'll dive more into the questions at the end, but just a, an initial question thought is, okay, we saw the Emperor get his, we saw the Baron get his, but the people who were really pulling these strings, the Guild. And you've got, like, two representatives there, but that's not enough. They're going to find out about what happened, and then they're going to want payment or something. So, yeah, dealing with the Emperor, Sardaukar, okay, fine. Good, satisfying, but I'm just curious about, you know, what the what the guild's retaliation would be like. Anyway, we can dive into that more near the end when we're asking questions and things. But what do you guys think? Like, leave a comment. Just just throw a comment in the in the episode here, and 
let Slava and I know that it's a great standalone book, not a great standalone book. You know, did you have Gator this week? Talk to us. Yeah. Seriously, I want to know if any of our listeners have ever eaten fried okay. gator. All right. That's not exactly what I want to know. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to you talk about that. No, alligator, the animal. I'm not sure where your mind is, Jonathan. Yeah. This is a kid's program. <laughs> We're uh, we're reading we're reading 1970s sci-fi just for the for children. edification of children. Yep. <laughs> we're just a weird Mister Rogers. That's a new that podcast. swears sometimes. We we are not we are Mister Rogers that swears sometimes. All right, doing. keep this train rolling. You want to get into themes? We can get into some themes next because we can wrap them up with this final episode. Let's do um, it. Guest free. Okay, so power and suffering. We've talked about that numerous times in each episode we had some sort of little well i had some sort of note on it and here it continues through the the end of the book the violence continues last episode we talked about how the struggle for power is not without suffering and death and the silly analogy i had for you was if you wanted to overtake america or any other country you wouldn't be able to do it like to be able to get to that status of power, you there will be a lot of death and destruction on the way to your ascension to where you could be, take on the American military. So this continues on throughout these last chapters with the Fremen being the Sar- Sarkadans, the taking over the ship with the emperor in it. The baron gets killed. The emperor loses. After all the years of not losing, he loses. And then we have the, the suffering aspect of it. That's the violence aspect of it. The suffering aspect of it is at the end of the book, Paul repeats his father's fate. He can't marry the one he loves, and he has to marry somebody else, uh, something that Jessica wasn't married for in Leto's case, because what if we have to marry somebody for political reasons? So that repeats. Mm-hmm. A lot of power... Heavy's the head that wears the crown kind of thing. Yep. Paul now is in danger, more so than if he was, you know, roaming around caves, stooping Cheney for more, you know, to get Stupid. more kids out of her. Yeah, remember that kid from the last episode? <laughs> Make sure you uh, step. And Cheney suffers like Jessica. <laughs> she suffers Jessica's fate. Yes, she's the loved one, she's the preferred one, but she's now part of this machine. Where, yeah, when she was Kynes' daughter, and she was part of the Fremen, and she had to fight for her life, and then she was the, you know, girlfriend and very quickly wife, sort of common wife, I guess. There was never a ceremony of the Muad'Dib, and now all that romance and adventure is gone. She is now an official royal in a cesspool. So suffering continues. And with that suffering, we can quickly jump into people in nature. I'll let you respond, and then we'll go on to the other themes. Mm-hmm. And people in nature here, what makes people suffer? Well, people, other people. And in this ecosystem that Herbert created, this world, then nature affects the people. The spice affects the people. Arrakis affects how the Fremen live. It affects their religion. It affects their pragmatism and practicality and how they practice those religion although some of them go off into cuckoo land, as we discussed in the previous episode. That we did. And the Sardican, they're shaped by their prison planet. They're shaped by the emperor's 
culture of death and destruction that he has, you know, that, that overshadows their world. But even that didn't prepare him for the Fremen's, you know, unity and power. So that, and that's the struggle, right? I'm not even going to make, compa- com- make comparative statements because it doesn't matter to the point. Mm-hmm. It's not relevant to the point. Each of them were shaped by their environment. And each of their environments were harsh. So those themes, and here's where I'll end and let you uh, post some questions or corrections to me. That's throughout the book. Herbert never let up on the themes that we picked out. And the next ones are free will, religion, human potential, all that stuff. But from, from chapter 1 to chapter 48, Herbert was consistent in weaving those themes in. That's true. Um, I had a thought earlier while you were running down that stuff. Do you think that because what Cheney's going to go through, that her suffering will drive a unity between her and Jessica? Yes. It already, it's already so in the, in the last chapter. And let me read that part of it. So, uh, okay. So Paul tells her like, Hey, you're going to be my concubine. She's going to be my wife. And that's it. Sorry. He goes, we must obey the forms. Yet the princess shall have no more of me than my name. No child of mine, nor touch, nor softness, nor glance, nor instance of desire. So say you now, Cheney said. She glanced across the room in the tall princess. Do you know so little of my son? Jessica whispered. See that princess standing there, so haughty and confident? They say she has the pretensions of a, of a literary nature. Let us hope she'll find solace in such things. She'll have little else. A bitter laugh escaped Jessica. Think on it, Cheney. The princess will have the name, yet she will live as less than a concubine, never to know a moment of tenderness from the man to whom she's bound, while we, Cheney, we who carry the name of concubine, history, will call us wives. So there's a little connection there. Yeah, it's starting. I that that was And it's why Jessica I... Jessica initiating. Cheney always wanted Jessica to like her. If you go go yeah. back and reread the book, yeah. and here Jessica goes, Yeah, we're we're not kinda kindred spirits. You know, we we're in the same we're on the, we're on the same team at the very least. Yeah. That's true. If not kindred spirit might be a little jump at this juncture, but they are definitely bound to each other. In Jessica, the situation has strengthened that bond. In Jessica, we trust. All hail Jessica. More deeds, mother! The mother of the gator ass. Well, I don't... It's more like a worm ass, but, you know... <laughs> worm, yes. Know your, know your book. The one who rides the worm ass. That's true. So, let's talk about the emperor for a second, because you mentioned the emperor, and mm-hmm. I'm just curious... Is it just me, or does it seem a little peculiar that this badass emperor, because, like, throughout the book, it was always, the Sardaukar warriors are incredible, and da-da-da-da-da, Sardaukar, and then, like, oh, the emperor's pulling the strings, then we saw him deal with, with the Baron, and so, like, he's been talked about, and this is one of the things we covered in the first episodes, where... If you talk about a character before you see them, the longer you talk about them and the and the accolades and the things that they've done, the more it builds that character up. So he's been built up, and then it was just kind of like a quick overthrow. 
he didn't have any contingency plans for coming to Arrakis. Like, that seems... Nope. It seems a bit drab. Is that just me? Like, I I like that Paul won, but, like, the Emperor doesn't have any sort of contingency plans. Right. No, I, I see. I see what you're saying. I think my response to that would be: All hail the emperor! Moody. Yes, uh, all hail the mouse. The emperor is so is so full of himself, just like the Baron, right? And we see these are these people of power for all their machinations and all their, you know, all their. Um, I can't say what I want to say. It's a kid show. Oh. Well, tell me and then edit it out. For all his, all, all the proverbial uh, phallic swinging that they both do. <laughs> oh, boy. Is, uh... Gator tail swings. Is, yeah. It's all for, for nothing, man. It's a show. And yes, the people under them, for them it's not a show. Because look at his nephew. What happened to him? He stabbed my arm. Yes. <laughs> well, he's a sniveler. I'm talking about him having to kill all his concubines or... Whatever. But anyway, so there's always somebody in charge. Probably use the skater tail. And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is a kid's show. No, it's 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 fine. I'm I'm looking at your uh never mind. What are you looking this, at my what are you what? It's, it's, I'm looking at your notes here and it says Paul oh, sticking okay. to the Emperor and his daughter. Okay, it's a kid's show. Back to the main point. Emperor losing without having contingency plans. Everybody has somebody that they answer to. And so does the Emperor. And apparently it's the guild. Or if he doesn't answer to the guild, he's beholden to them in some way where even if they don't know it, per se, or I'm sure they do, we're speculating here, his position is somehow tethered to the guild's success. So there's a mutual benefit there. And the guild, from what little I read in the appendices right before you hit record is they are kind of like the big movers and shakers of uh, of this universe. So, yeah, he's the emperor, and he probably has the power to kill people even on the guild, but he's going to, you know, he's going to temper that back. So when he finds himself with five legions, all his Sardaukar are dead, his nephew is dead, the Baron is dead, and the, this kid just told the, the guild to go screw themselves. <laughs> And the Emperor's like, well, crap. And then you have Mother Mohayim and him deciding we must use treachery. There's no way out of this. So whatever they had, his contingency plan apparently was the Mother and the the, the five freaking uh, legions in the sky, and he realizes that both aren't helping him. Mother Mohayim is, kind of, but says, okay. like, hey, right. treachery is the only way out of this. And then the guys in the sky, Paul says, yeah, they're not going to do anything, trust me. Don't worry about the people you brought with you. They're now mine. In a sense, is what he uh, what he says. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's fair. I feel like there was a missed opportunity here for Frank Herbert. Now, we covered the fact that he and this is just my last point, and then you can give a quick rebuttal and then let's move on to the next theme because I don't want to bore our audience, but you know what a chiastic structure is, Slava? Yes. Okay, can you give us just a quick rundown of what of what that is before I dive in my point? Sure. It's usually done in poetry. You state a fact, you state a you say state a fact. You don't state a fact. 
You let, let, let me just do it with letters. So in a poetry, A, B, C, C, B, A. So you state something, you follow up with a statement, you follow up with a conclusion, you restate the conclusion, you restate the secondary statement, and then you restate the primary statement. Well, you missed... Yes, that's true. You missed D, though, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the reason that chiastic structure existed for ancient writing styles and ancient storytelling, really, was that the main point was the, the middle point. So it was like A, B, C, D, C, B, A, right? Because uh, D is the main the main point. That's the way that I remember it. Well, let's look it up because that's not how I remember it. And that, and you've asked me this question before and agreed with my. Well, maybe you described it differently before. Anyway, I did not. <laughs> I think you did. Um, no, I am right. No, not uh, based on what I'm looking up here. It says chiastic structure: A, B, C, D, C, B, A. All right, and I'm looking at it, it says a literary technique and narrative motifs. That goes A B and then B A. Okay, so you're looking at you're looking at a double chiasm and triparite chiasm with A B C C B A, and I, in either case, I was right. You state a point, you make two, you make a point, you make a conclusion, you restate the conclusion, then you go backwards out. Okay, well, I'm thinking about how the middle point was always the the main point of the story from the ancient storytellers where they build up to this central thing, this central moment, this central piece of the story, and then work their way backward with the mirrored piece. For those who are unfamiliar, Noah's Ark is a chiastic structure. And just before the center point, which is God remembers Noah, before that it's the waters increase, and then literally the first action, the first plot point after that, is the waters decrease. So that there's these mirror, mirroring moments. Anyway... Chiastic structure disagreement, all that to say that I feel like there was a missed opportunity by Herbert here because he does such a good job at tying this together. He brings in the Gonjabar, he brings in like, hey, this is my grandfather, he brings in the Emperor and the Sardaukar, he sets Paul up to have the same can't marry the one he loves, has to marry for duty, Cheney, it's just like very much the same, I feel like he could have built a chiastic structure out of this yeah maybe he didn't know maybe you know because he very he ties it up pretty well he just kind of like shoves all the letters in at the end like and they're here enjoy so i I love a good chiastic structure yeah no it's fun and i think you're right and maybe he did it without doing it because it's unstructured it's just uh... (laughs) a alphabet soup (laughs) it's alphabet soup like like you said because that's what i got out of the ending is he he repeats his father's life. Yeah, except so, that he's uh, he took a step up because he's now in line super, for the throne for the emperor. Yeah, Imperium, and Emp- whatever, Emp- whatever doesn't matter. All right, but yeah, power and suffering—that's a good theme. We're going to be looking at themes here moving forward in all of our books to just try to keep that as a a fun talking point because we're we're trying something new. So, all right, let's dive into people and nature. Well, we already covered people and nature. That was co- oh, connected right. to po- power and suffering. If you want to make a comment over for that, the last thing I said regarding people as nature is it's connected to the suffering that the, both the Sardicans and the Fremen and all of these characters that we meet, they suffer at the proverbial hands of the environment, right? And the environment changes them. 
and then they also change the environment. They subdue it, they conquer it, or get conquered by it, or learn to live within its parameters, or are changed and hardened by it. Like Irulan says that Iraq is God made Iraq is to make men th- tough, paraphrase. So if you want to comment on that, you can, but I think uh, I think it's safe to move on. No, we can we can move on. I didn't realize that you tied them both together. I thought we were going to go piece by piece, but that's all right. Let's roll. Let's roll. Let's do religion and control. We're going to go a little bit out of order by notes. Sure. But relig- religion and control and human potential. We'll tie those two together, and then we'll end with fate versus free will. It'll be like a loose, chiastic tr- structure. So, you really religion and control. To, you really know how to make a Jew feel known. I do my best. Paul realizes that the Fremen are now beyond his control, right? He is the Muad'Dib. He is the... Say it for me. Muad'Dib? No, the other thing. What I like, <laughs> I you, to, what, what I like you to call me. <laughs> the, Slavinator? Yeah, Slavinator. The old Slobnob? Or, well, <laughs> Slobnob. <laughs> ass. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. The, the thing, the Messiah name. Uh, okay, so now Paul's the Messiah, uh, title unknown, <laughs> because we're a bunch of asshats. But he's unable to stop the jihad, and everything he did, he was able to move certain chess pieces around, but ultimately he became the Muad'Dib, he unified the Fremen like he wanted to, and he didn't stop the jihad, he had to accept it. It's and the, Jessica. It's the Kwisat Haderach. But that, you didn't really, you, you didn't give me the, the specific question you wanted. You're just like, call me that thing you call. <laughs> That's the joke. Welcome cyclist, everybody. Ultimately, Jessica has the same realization, or not the same realization, but she goes through the same thing. The same thing happens to her. She ultimately is unable to wield the Fremen to the degree that she wants or she wanted. She was doing it to protect Paul and protect herself and all this stuff. But ultimately, everything happens the way it's supposed to, you know, air quotes, the way it was fated to happen. That old witch, with all the movements and all the political intrigue and everything that the sisterhood does, the Ben and Jesuit, everything they do to make sure that people breed correctly and distinguishing humans and not humans and manipulating political courts for all that hey man these are their kids this is the world they created they caused this they, they, they caused this they caused so, both fate and free will sure i'm getting at they caused the situations that we that we read about they wanted something else they were doing these things to make arrakis and make this world that we read about better than before nothing's better than before everything's the same <laughs> and Again, go to the appendices I did for five seconds before we started recording. This world has known nothing but wars. And then there was this ecumenical council, and everybody got along for a while, and everybody kind of took their roles as we find them when we open the first pages of Dune. But it's already hit the fan, man. The, The proverbial poo's already all over the wall. So for all their attempts, Ben and Jessica didn't get anything accomplished. They use their free will. They even use superhuman abilities to push their will onto others. Yet fate won. 
Do you think do you think that the guild controls the Bene Gesserit? No, I don't think so. Uh, again, from the five minutes I spent on the appendices, it seems that they are their own thing, and they have control even over people who are a little bit more agnostic to them, to their their way of thinking, mm. because they're such a mystique about them. And they're able to do the whole voice thing and control people and, you know, other creepy shit. So Yeah. Fair enough. So that's religion and control. And with that control comes the whole human potential. That's how I'm going to tie it in. Because that's what the whoa, Bene Gesserits want. You want to jump respond. in here? I didn't get to respond about no, religion I was, and control. I was doing the same thing I did it before. But here, jump in here. Jump in Break here. Break the so, chaotic so structure. The, uh, well, I had things to say. And you should. I need to remember them now. The, the Bene Gesserit, <clears throat> religion and control. So like Paul and Jessica both embrace this thing that then embraces them. And controls them because they try to use it for control, and then and they get controlled by it partly. But it makes me think of the Bene Gesserit specifically, and they're controlling the fates and controlling time and controlling literally who people marry and taking children away, women away from their parents, and then making them breed possibly with their uncles, which is really weird. As an uncle, it's very weird. The it makes me think of something that. Most people will probably find to be a strange sequitur, but it makes me think of Austrian economics. Why do I think about Austrian economics, do you say? That's a great question. Let me tell you. Hey, Jonathan, <laughs> why Austrian economics? Oh, Slava, thanks for asking. This is good. So before we talk about Austrian economics, we got to talk about Keynesian economics because that is really what this, this pairs down to. Keynesian economics believes that government intervention in the marketplace – and regulation of the marketplace is deeply important, i.e. the Bene Gesserit. They have to get involved to make things be their best. Austrian economics, on the other hand, believes that there should be zero government intervention in the marketplace. Why? Because they believe that if there's an increase in money supply, or you know, you could you could interpret that as if there's a purposeful diving in from the government and regulating in some way. So if there's an increase in money supply not supported by an increase in production of goods and services, you know, value, let's say uh, the last five years or so, longer probably, you know, just to pick a simple time frame, not an increase in production of goods and services leads to an increase in prices. Anybody feeling that right now? No, just, just me? Yeah, we'll let that sit there. All right, but... That prices of all goods do not increase simultaneously. So, what do I mean by this? How does this make me think of the Bene Gesserit? Well, they fiddled with fate. They fiddled with people's lives. They fiddled with bloodlines. We see that as a theme that comes up, or sorry, a plot, uh, a plot device that comes up pretty regularly. But they're very much like the Keynesian economists who think, "Oh, we got to get our hands involved." But I, I thought about Austrian because I prefer that the market just stabilized by itself. The market will tell you what it wants. If they don't like your product, they ain't buying. So uh, that's my little side question, your little economics question. Or, well, que- question, but lesson. 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 Ben no, good stuff. Benny Jessert. Uh, Keynesian like economics. It. I love it. That, that's uh, that's probably one of our, probably the top three uh, smartest side quests we've had. All right. All right. Don't toot my horn. Toot it again. Toot it again. What do you call me? 
Quick, Slava, what do you call me? Queef Dot Sadarak. Queef Duck. Oh my God. Uh, You're why we can't have nice things. I am like the Keynesian economist that says inappropriate things. I hate everything about who you choose to be as a person. So, human potential, <laughs> right? The con- the connection here, before I was rudely interrupted with an <laughs> economics lesson, <laughs> connection I wanted to make, love you, man. The connection I wanted to make to religion and control, because the control part of that is human potential. Why do the Benue Jesuits muddle and get their little grubby little uh, wrinkly hands into everything? They want to make sure that the bloodlines and the humans, those that they find to be humans, advance well. So you have this human potential. And you, that's a very specific way that I think Herbert's talking about human potential. And it kind of blossoms, if you will, here towards the end. And it only blossoms in light of the rest of the book. So why did... Everybody in this world ban AI and computers. Well, whatever happened during that big war and that big, we're going to call it apocalypse, although apocalypse really means revelation and not a war. It's a Greek lesson for all of you. So during that that big event, after which the humans banned AI and banned technology and banned computers, so you have industrial technology and industrial technology that can take you through space. You still don't have like phones or you know, computers. But anyway, people have learned to advance and otherwise you have Mentats who are human computers. Um, something you would ask Google, you now ask a Mentat. And Ben and Jessers themselves have great, you know, potential. They they have they have made great great leaps in human ability. Paul, who has both the male and the female aspects of the Benning Jesuit teaching and the powers and the, the mind control and all of that gives him great potential. He is almost outside of everybody else around him, which brings me to his sister who has all these memories and all this wisdom. And you guys know the old adage, maybe you don't know, but I've said it before. Maybe you heard it from me is zeal without knowledge is folly, but knowledge without wisdom is folly also. And so Aaliyah has all this knowledge, but she's still a precocious freaking three-year-old. It's not like she actually has wisdom from having all this knowledge. Yeah, she has a little bit. When's the last time you killed a person? Um, That's what are, I thought. Are you going to edit this out? I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> not when you were three, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> not when I was three. But nonetheless, she's able to concoct this plan. Nonetheless, nevertheless, whatever the less, she's able to concoct this plan to kill Grandpa, and she's screwing with him by being, you know, a two-year-old. But do you think if provided a serious opportunity, and by that I mean, like, killing Grandpa's not serious enough, but, like, really moving the big chess pieces, I think she might say the right things, given all her memories, but she still doesn't have wisdom. She's still two. This is not the Matrix. You don't get you don't plug in and like no karate. The problem here is exceeding too fast, right? And I think that's kind of where it ends for Herbert. Even though he's made positive claims about human potential in this world, and he's kind of alluded to maybe some of the not so positive, some negative aspects of it, 
here it's kind of for me it's kind of laid out bare and um with that i uh i bid you take over do you you posed an interesting question you said with great power comes great responsibility but then you said you can't be responsible if you don't have wisdom is that what you said yes so is that true because i don't think it is i think that you can be responsible without wisdom. Well, if we're talking about tying your shoes and paying your taxes, it goes back to definitions again, right? Then you, you, you can be you can pay your taxes and be a dumbass and pay your taxes on time. I think what you were getting at, and you can correct me if I missed it here, but you can't be responsible with power without wisdom. Yes. Right? Because power is a rocket launcher put in your hands. And your hand is on the trigger. You can do whatever you want with it. You have this massive tool. And. Yes, this is what I live with. Work with. (laughs) I mean. Never mind. We don't live together. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) What the hell? The showers would be rough. Like a sea full of sausages. <laughs> why? Why do you? Why do you imagine if we lived together, we'd have to take a shower together? Like, is there? Because we can live in my house. I have plenty of hot water. My water heater works just fine. <laughs> if <laughs> we've degraded here, it's it's. What was I saying? Power and wisdom. Human potential. We're talking about poten- wisdom. <laughs> There's no potential here. Not with two sausages. I I need to move on. I just, I had, I'm sure I had a point here. Yeah, a rocket launcher, you have to be wise how to use a rocket launcher. Yeah. If you you blow up your water heater and have to move in with a friend. (laughs) Make sure that they schnip around first. Make sure they have one and a half baths, at least. <laughs> I can use a sink. Um, God, man. Okay. Uh, yeah. You power. They say that power corrupts absolutely. I think without wisdom, that's correct. I think with wisdom, it you know how to wield power. I was having a conversation with Christopher, who's going to be on next episode, when we. One time we're watching this anime, and we were talking about mercy. And the point that we came up with at the end of the episode was that you can't have mercy unless you have power. It's not mercy if you don't have the ability to destroy the person in front of you. Right. Right? So, I just I guess I think I just wanted to verbally clarify the point that you alluded to for myself... Because I heard it one way, but I thought it was the other way. And uh, and yeah. you did. So, that's... Thank you. That's... Um, My pleasure. Is that sausages extra, or...? No. Um, it's double sausage day. <laughs> okay. Well, we're, we're coming up on an hour here, so it's time to... What questions did you have now that we've finished the book? Did you have any questions? Because I certainly did. I had a couple questions. I'm really confused as why the old witch Mahayam 
is so upset about Aaliyah. I get that Aaliyah is a little different. And, you know, just what we talked about makes her a little dangerous. If not a lot of dangerous, if you're... Right, because she has power without wisdom. Right, right. sorry. I didn't tie that back. Thank you. Right. If not a lot of dangerous, especially to a fat, rapey bastard with jowls hanging over his... That got me every time it described it. And then his jowls were flopping around. Yeah, now there was one other thing that always stood with me, stayed with me, stayed. Slapped stayed with me. His jowls slapped you in the old blah, blah, blah. No, not really. But when he said, hey, bring me that nice-looking slave boy. Make sure he's drugged. I don't feel like wrestling. I was like, oh. Oh, oh that's, boy. Oh, Baron. Oh, God. I'm going to take a shower after they're reading that paragraph. Um, luckily, nothing was described, but what, what do you think happened, right? So, no, the Baron is a piece of garbage, and he got what he deserved. But nonetheless, off topic, off tra- back on track. Yeah, Ali is a little dangerous, a lot of dangerous in the in the right situations, and I understand why the Reverend Mother might be like, "Oh, this is a problem," but instead she's like, "Kill the little bitch," and you're like, "Whoa, good. you know that escalated quickly." Yeah, and even the Fremen, and we discuss we discussed you know folk religion and religious fervor without any knowledge, zeal without knowledge. We, we talked about that last week, and so my question is like. What's with these people and this girl? Like, I mean, I get it. She's a little weird, and I understand the dangers that she p- proposes, but why is the first thing, and don't tell me it's a hard planet and the hard life, because I get that too. What the hell, people? Why do I want to kill this kid? Maybe like, the Why first, is she an abomination? Maybe the first Reverend Mother was born this way, and she wants it to never happen again, because she's still roaming about in the universe somewhere. Is it like a five-year-old? Like, she's not, you know... <laughs> Like she hasn't grown up. Is this like what you know, Tuck Neverlasting or some some nonsense? Like, right. I don't know. Do you know what Tuck Neverlasting is? It's not sexual. I promise you. It's you know that you, you're looking at me like it might be something disgusting. Th- that's or what Edgar Allan Poe said when he loved his cousin sister. I'll tuck you. Oh. No, it's not sexual. Anyway, just tell us. It's a book about. A family that found the fountain of life or youth, mm-hmm. and their name was Tuck, I think. And they meet a girl, and the girl falls in love with the boy, but the girl ends up not drinking from the fountain of life. And then, then in the book, he comes to her gravesite and mourns, and it's very romantic and blah, so blah. So it's blah. Twilight, but different. There's no vampires, there are some toothless mouth breeders. Who are obviously it's always the rednecks, you know. Kill the people? redneck has to be the the, the evil racist in every tr- trope since the nineteen seventies, I think. Um, anyway, well, so the I mean, I met some. I met some. That's that's not. It's, it's not, not unfounded. Just, it's not unfounded. But come into a small town and try that. I've been to plenty of towns. My pasty ass has been in plenty of towns when they're like, "This town ain't big enough for you know my cousin, wife, and you." <laughs> like, All right, buddy. I got. I got you. That's right. So, I'll get back on the plane. Thank you very much. But I also met some uh, some of the same kind of people up north. You go up north, the northern rednecks are even scarier. Yeah, hill people. They'll never find you in the mountains. Um, <laughs> That's true. Hill people are terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I mean, it's this typical stupid trope, and I get it. There's racist, stupid rednecks. 
That's why there's even the term for them, rednecks. Yeah, but, but not not everybody in the South of, is evil and wants to eat. Tons poor of people. people are racist. The Sunni and the Shiite, racist as shit. Yeah. Oh, we well, can't talk about that though because they're not white. Right. Yes. No theme for that. <laughs> to tie it back. <laughs> <laughs> That's just going to hang there, you can and that's just, fine. You can just cut that out. It's non-sequitur. Yeah. Um, so what other questions did you have? Well, that's it. The, the question... Well, no, that's not it. I, I retract <laughs> my I was going to say, that's not it. I'm looking at the notes here. That's not it. You're just, that's you not it. Your one I have question. two questions. Okay. What's up, M- Mother Mahimi's ass? And then, what is Paul going to do now? That goes back to my comment earlier. Just a little, a little epilogue. What is Paul doing? He's got three girls now. He's got Cheney. He's got a slave girl. He's got this princess who's, you know, his ticket to the throne. My two questions. What the hell is Paul doing now? I just want to follow up. And really, what's up their butts about Aaliyah? Similarly, I want to know why the Reverend Mothers have never helped create a daughter like Aaliyah. Like, why not? If you can train them from childhood, why not just continue to do this? That seems like a real great way to get things done. That's one of my questions. One of my follow-up questions, though, is, okay, so the prophecy has come to be. We've got the Kwisatz Haderach. Now what? Now what? Now now, now what? Like, it kind of goes in hand-in-hand with your, with your, what's Paul going to do with Arrakis now? Like, okay, Kwisatz Haderach's here. Now what? And, I mean, you, there's more novels, so I'm sure that some of this gets unpacked. But just curious. Just want to know. Yeah, that's fair. And I think as we're wrapping up here, what about something that we didn't like? Is there something you didn't like about the book? That's a good question. I, <laughs> I didn't like what the what the Baron probably did with that slave boy. That's, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, I, I didn't like that either. That wasn't... Uh, I'm all for wanton violence, but that was are you just evil. Are yeah, you man. The, yes, yes. Like if it's an action book, like I'm oh, all, in the books, I yeah, not like in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, yeah, yeah. And hell, listen, I'm all I'm all for evil stuff being described. I'm not shying away. Like like I'm not saying that that shouldn't be in there, but that was that was a that was very dark. You know, it's. We've talked about this before, but it's interesting when you have to write something dark because I've, I've wrote something similarly dark, and I thought about it after I wrote it, and it's it's honestly one of the best things that I've ever written, and I read it and I was like, ooh, what do you tell your mom when you write something like that? Like, oh, mom, I wrote this new story, and she reads it and she goes, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. It has to come from somewhere, right? So people naturally will ask that, especially mothers. Other Rever- writers Reverend probably mothers. wouldn't. Yeah, right. Other <laughs> writers probably wouldn't ask you where you got that from. They'll probably either critique it or say yay or nay on it. Yeah, a regular, regular layperson would be like, what the hell, dude? Is everything okay at home? <laughs> <laughs> my, my girlfriend calls me my, her little latka. When she latka? What? Latka. Yeah, you heard me. Anyway. Like a potato pancake? (laughs) 
Or like lapka, which is the Russian diminutive for a paw. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure this out. <laughs> you know what? I'll just leave it to the audience's uh, imagination. That's funny. Okay. I can't wait till she listens to this There's episode. a difference between a P and a T. And I'm... That's fine. There was nothing that stood out that I really disliked, honestly. It was right. a very well-written book. There's a few, and I've asked this throughout. I didn't. It, it didn't make me dislike the book, but like, where Jessica's Chris knife go? Um, you know, just just little things here and there. Wanting to know more about the world, but nothing that stood out was like, well, I didn't really like this book the way that I didn't like China Mayville's book. <laughs> Is that too much? Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. I would have to say the same. Right, style, the right? pacing was just so consistent. You're yeah. always in the action. Yes. Yeah, nothing jumped out at me. I keep saying that. Shit. Yes, we're on the same page. There is nothing about this book that I disliked. You could you could even say that nothing jumped out at you? You could say that. <laughs> I wouldn't because I've... It's just an awkward way of saying it. When you, when you repeat that phrase six times... I'm losing it here, folks. <laughs> the, the, be- the beauty of it. post-edit. Um... So, didn't dislike anything about the book. My only wish was for an epilogue. And that's it. You want a little cherry on top. Yes. If we're going to use your phrasing, the cherry on top for me here would be an epilogue. But, hey, 16 books and two more in the original trilogy. I'm sure I can get my, my, my desires met. So, overall, good book. I liked it. What would you rate it? What would I rate it? What, 10 out of 10? Are we doing, how are we doing? Sure. Ten, ten, well. Or are we going to do like what we did uh, once before and never again, even though we promised we would, rate the story overall, the plot, and the characters? Let's do that. And the world. There's four things. Story, plot, characters, world. Yeah. And let's do, let's do uh, something uh, a, a little bit Difficult. One out of five, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One out of five is great. So, story for me, I think is a solid four. It wasn't like the greatest thing I ever read, but it was pretty damn close, right? It was a really good story. I liked it. I didn't think anything was cliche about it. Plot, I'd say the same. I thought everything was tied together well. It ended well. Characters... I'm going to say three for characters, but not because the characters themselves were bad or poorly written, but because I wanted maybe more time with them. (laughs) And that definitely connects to the epilogue. I wanted to know a little bit more because we were always in the action. a little more time. That's great. No, 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 no. no. Maybe uh, I'll take Princess Irulan on a friend date so she's not so lonely. So I'm saying three, not because of Herbert or how they're written, but I want it a little bit more with each character, little, um, maybe inside their yep, head. Yep. World? Yeah. And then the world, I'm going to say three again, because we got only one place where we got a good description of. I would want to have more ecology, you know, whatever. I would want more time spent describing what the hell the worms are, 
have they eaten a lot of Fremen, not a lot of Fremen? Like, what do they do when they're not eating people? Just a little bit more. And maybe 3.5, but we're going to stick to a 3. I think that's it. I, we got it all, right? I yeah, got you got four? the story, plot, characters, world. What's the difference between the plot and the story, Slava? The story is the overall narrative, and the plot are the devices that are used to pr- tell the story. Great. Perfect. I just wanted to clarify for, for the audience and for me. So, as you were asking the question, I wrote down mine as well. I, I give the story overall a four. I think that there was... I, I really think that this book itself, even though there's two other books, could have been another 20 chapters. Like, there could have been more suspense buildup. Like, there was just there were options. Like, Herbert did such a good job. There were so many more directions he could have taken it, even if it was just, like, after the fact for a little more resolution, like you're talking about. Just anything. Plot also, four. We see a lot of fun things on Arrakis here. We see a lot of, well, we see a little bit going on in the universe. And it leaves you wondering and asking, like, well, I'd like to know a little little more. Which you'd think would make it a five, but actually didn't give us enough questions. Because it just kind of slid through everything that was going on. Not a bad thing. It kept the pacing good, kept the action good. But I leaves a little to, to be desired for me. I, I want more, and I, I think I say that on a lot of books that we read. It's like, I want more from the story. I want more from the world. I want more from the characters. Characters, for me, three. I think the second half of the book is a lot of wrap-up, and it sort of lets the pedal up, it takes its foot off the pedal a little bit for character development in the second half of the book. And I think that it could have could have stuck in there a little longer, personally. And then for world, you know me, I'm a big world guy. Give it a three, because Herbert did a really good job with everything that we understood. Especially the Baron's jowls. Oh, just disgusting. But I wanted more. I want more. I always want more. I'm, I'm, I'm like, um, man, you guys aren't going to get the reference. All right, you'll get the reference one day, maybe, if I say it. Anyway, The World, a three. The World is a three. So this is a Slavonized rating. We actually agree on something for once. Stories a four, plots a four, characters are a three, world is a three. All right, cool. Well, that's the episode, folks. Thanks so much for joining us on Dune. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to share this with your favorite Dune friend, or if you wanted to do a read-along and discuss the nonsense that Slava and I discuss before we have our guests on, you can go back to episode one, tell your friends, hey, they're reading the first 12 chapters, let's read it and participate. So uh, just share this with a friend. And then, Slava, what are we reading next? We are reading Soulsmith, which is book two in the Cradle series by Will White. Hey! Which I'm looking forward to, because I missed... This one missed whatever the guy's Lyndon. name is. Apparently not that Lyndon. much because I forgot his stupid... Lyndon Taylor. Nope, just Lyndon. Um, way she Lyndon Aurelius. What? Oh, way, way... Shoot. Lyndon Taylor. I know it's not his name. All right, let's start over. The Maybe Baron's I'll coming this, for you. I can hear his jowls <laughs> a-flapping. 
his stilts are creaking and his jowls are flapping. I think I'm going to vomit in my mouth. Yes. The next thing we're reading, Jonathan, this is uh, is definitely one for the gag reel, right? Could be (laughs) a comeback story. Don't call it a comeback. What's your favorite comeback story? That's a great question. Excellent. (laughs) Um, So next time. Next time. Next time on Soul Smith, we're reading Side Quest. <laughs> next time on Soul Smith. <laughs> okay. Next time on Soup Smith, we're doing the dingo. <laughs> dingo ate you, baby. All right. Uh, we're reading. We're. Should, we're oh, um, me. All right. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Slava's lost it. Oh, wow. But we're going back to Cradle. We're checking out what Yaren. Linden are up to, and what kind of shenanigans they find themselves in. I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoyed the first book, and we're doing two, I think, and three. Book two and book three, so I'm really looking forward to it. I know Spencer is, since he's in book ten now or something, right? So my friend Jake is on book ten. He's plowing through these. And then Spencer's on book five, halfway through. And there's a lot of fun stuff that happens at the end of book five uh, that... I'm excited to talk to him about, but not you, because you haven't gotten that far. So Fair enough. Yeah. Actually, fun fact to our Cradle listeners, you have made the Unsold book our top listened to episode series. So that's why we're diving back into the world of Cradle. I love it. I read all 12 books. I've read the series itself outside of book 12 because it just came out three times. So big fan. So happy to have a uh, space for you guys to um, listen to me introduce some new new friends to Cradle. Three people who've never read Cradle before are reading Cradle now because I loved it so much, and I said, "I'm gonna not be your friend if you don't read this book." You said that, <laughs> and I and I need friends. I said it in between my flapping jowls. That's it. That's gonna Tune be in next week, same time, same place. Can't wait to talk to you about Soup Smith, a book written by Will White.